Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hi, all you friends. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. You know it is nothing that excites me more than um, taking a trip around the world and finding really incredible and inspiring business professionals and stories from places that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of that there are such incredible leaders. So for this episode, we are going to go to Sri Lanka and we are going to meet with a gentleman who today is a business leader, HR consultant, a leadership trainer, TEDx speaker, author of 50 management books. I have questions for him about that who believes in the theory of revive and thrive. He has led training sessions in numerous countries, um, both in person and virtually. And so I am so thrilled to welcome Vidusha to the program. Hi, Alison. So this is Vidusha Nathavitarana. I know that's a tongue twister of a name, but um, us in this part of the world have really long surnames. So I represent an organization called Luminary Learning and High Five Consultancy based out of Colombo in Sri Lanka. That's not where you started because I know you have quite an interesting corporate background before you became an entrepreneur and started your own business. So in just a few, you know, quick light brush sentences, tell us some about that background that you've got. Okay. So my first job was um, trying to collect pocket money for my then girlfriend by washing dishes at a nearby hotel. Even when I was young, I, was, I could pass out to being 18 without too much of a hassle. So I pretended to be 18 um, and started washing dishes. So that was my first job. My first official job after um, secondary school was actually in sales. And I loved it because that was about the only job I knew that you could actually make as much money as you see fit because there was no cap on how much you could make, unlike a salary. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that came to a grinding halt because somebody went and told tales to my father and, and turned around and said that I sell cheap watches on the pavement, which was not completely a lie, but it was not the whole truth either. Oh, there and we my- go. We love a man with a hustle. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> my father sat me down and said, there is a difference between a job and a vocation. So please, can you find a vocation? So... Any which way, then I went on to um, marketing and branding and um, did some branding and uh, brand work uh, with an ad agency. After graduating, I moved into local manufacturing arm of a, of a UK-based company, which eventually became a US-based company because Sarah Lee Corporation that you know of bought them over. Started out in manufacturing, then went into a little bit of merchandising. Then by a queer twist of fate, ended up in HR. And I've been there since. And so Um, what you do today is you specialize in and are very passionate about leadership training. And so I have to ask, did some of those, you know, did that come out of frustration from your corporate experiences or or what (laughs) really inspired you to say, you know, I'm going to start a company that does leadership training? The jump to being an entrepreneur was honestly quite by chance. It wasn't planned. 
Everyone who generally knows me thinks I'm a very, very planned and structured person. Um, I'm not. I do take life as it comes. It's just that when it comes, I do plan for it because it requires it. But the long and short of it was this. I wanted to take a break. I wanted to spend some time at home. I was working crazy hours. So I took six months off and actually was looking for another job and couldn't really find something that I was really passionate about. And in between, there were a couple of friends who called me in and asked me to do some pieces of work. One led to another. And before you knew it, I was doing work. Now, the leadership part came because of the consulting work I did. And after most of the consulting pieces, they actually told me to do some training for their senior leadership teams so that whatever we did could sustain itself. And I'm a passionate believer that as a consultant, when I leave a piece of work, that needs to sustain itself. And the only way you can do that is to train the senior teams. So that evolved too. Thankfully, I really did have some brilliant, brilliant bosses, some of which I didn't necessarily get on well, but that, that's on me, not on them, right? But much of what I do facilitations on borrow a lot from some of those experiences. So I have some very, very fond memories of the corporate life, so to say. Had my frustrations for sure, but, but I must admit on, on a balance of things, I loved it. So let me ask this, how difficult is it to found a a legal business entity in a country like Sri Lanka? It's pretty straightforward, actually. And thankfully, I know there can be a lot of red tape in our part of the world. This is not one of them. (laughs) Thankfully, for a local person to start a business in Sri Lanka isn't bad at all. Neither is it actually complicated for any foreign national to set up a business. We are pretty business friendly in that sense. And believe it or not, we have quite a lot of entrepreneurs. Not all of them are private limited companies, for sure. There are partnerships and sole proprietors. But having said that, it's a matter of filling a form, handing it over, give it a week, and you have your registrations. Nice. (laughs) You're pretty okay that way. The, The difficult part is actually not starting it. The difficult part is growing it. That's when you start hitting the snacks. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about that um, because I like to talk to my guests about how they how they built their teams, how they um, started their initial marketing, and you know, and did their expansion. So, can you give us a little bit about what those first couple of years were like when you were, you know, getting your brand out there in the marketplace? Right. So, I know I shouldn't be saying this because um, I'm supposedly to be a marketing and branding person. Um, yes, I, I heard you say that. Yes, I know. <laughs> But as they say, sometimes when you preach certain things, you forget to do it for yourself. So I swear the branding part of it was, was the last thing on our minds. The logo was simply, we were trying to figure out a logo and I couldn't come up with anything. And I remember my father always saying this, that destiny is in your own hands. Destiny is in your own hands, right? So I, I kept my hand on my photocopier, not my photocopier, but the photocopier at one of my friends and, and just pressed my hand on it and just took the outline of my hand and made that the logo because high five is, you know, a high five that you give. So we didn't spend any time on it. The clear focus for us was trying to kind of build programs that we would think would add value. And we assumed rather naively at the time that everything else will take care of itself. (laughs) It's only about two years into that journey that you realize it isn't that simple. Mm -hmm. So we were doing great work, I think. and, And our clients were seeing results. But genuinely, in some weird twists of fate, it added up. For nearly 10 years, 12 years, we honestly grew just organically. It was pure word of mouth. Sri Lanka is a small place. 
the business community is very interlinked. So one person referred you to another, then to another. Even our international assignments came that way because somebody linked up with the World Bank and they were working there and got introduced. And then we got one opportunity and then we went to Thailand um, through the World Bank. And then, you know, one thing led to another. It's only when we set up Luminary Learning that we actually sat down and asked ourselves, what should we do? And what should the strategy be? Because we realized that the way we ran High Five you couldn't scale it. It was very much like a mom and pop shop, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody were friends. Um, we had about five or six people who were really passionate about it. And we couldn't handle the volume of training that we got. And then we realized that maybe we should start again. So we divested the training side of the business and actually sat on and thought on paper and took a leaf off our own book, what we do for consulting, and said, look, let's put this on paper. We've got a couple of outside consultants to come and help us as well, because sometimes when you're in the same space, you can't really think straight. So we sat down, prepped up, and that's when we really saw true growth taking place. Because growth was a priority, let's put it that way. The priority was doing the assignment and doing the assignment well. And because things just grew, we assumed that doing the same of it would naturally take its own path. But there is a saturation point in that. And we often, when we consult for young startups, we tell this, that what business models you use when you're starting out mm -hmm. and growing a certain size does not hold true when you mature as an organization. Then you do need to bring in a very, very structured approach. So that was a great learning. Well, and I love that. I love that story that you didn't try to force your original brand to become your future brand. And I, I think that is a great story. And we do talk a lot about with entrepreneurs about, you know, it's, it's not only that, it's, it's the teams, right? The people that you bring in when you're a small team aren't necessarily the ones you need to lead in and be in key positions when you're scaling. Absolutely. And, and the skill sets are different. At the same time, sometimes, honestly, you become the biggest problem in the first place. I'll give you a classic example. I'm one of these people who never wanted a website. Would you believe it? I never <laughs> believed a website, right? Oh, I didn't that's have a a quite an admission. Card. Yeah, I never had a website. I never had a business card either, right? Um, I take somebody's business card and I'll drop them a text saying, hi, this is Vidusha, we met. Now you have my number, job done, right? So when you have a conversation around branding and marketing and you don't have a website, it's a no-go, isn't it? And you're the problem. And when you, as the so-called senior and founder of the organization, it's very natural inside small organizations for you to be the center of all tension, so to say, when it comes to decision making. So key decisions come to you and you know you're being the problem. And unless you have people around you who will challenge that without hesitation, you're in that rut forever and you can't scale that way. So you know Anton well enough. We have Mahesha Buddhima who kind of does our logistics planning and almost all the operationalizing work. But Anton takes care of, um, you know, we call him our chief evangelist, right? So he was just absolutely pointed. He turned around and said, look, I can't do my job unless you have a website. So set up a website, please. And we did. And then he turned around and said, that's not good enough. <laughs> you need a better website, right? And rightly so. So I think you really do need to understand that as sentimental as you might be, you need to get the hell out of your own way and make sure that you don't become the problem. And the okay. moment that starts happening, 
your entire organization is doomed and you have to understand that your organization has a life form of its own and it's not about you. You need really? to remove yourself out of it. Really wise advice. And I, I think the thing, because you, like you said, I, I, I had the opportunity to become familiar with your organization. And I find it interesting because I was introduced to you through a mutual leadership contact that we have who's in Europe. And then I got connected to you. But what you said is interesting to me because one of the things in the brief time that I've, I've been familiar with your organization is I'm oppressed at the speed of execution. And we sure. talk about you know, being a digital fast organization and, and your team's ability to kick out um, meaningful content and guru guides and, and other things. You know, I, I know that we started out talking about your background as an HR consultant and, and leadership trainer, but to me, it's, it's so much more. You, you gentlemen are really active content creators. And so, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that in your own words and that strategy. Well, actually, again, it, most of what we've done looking back looks as if though it, it, it's been very, very planned out, but I think what we've been good at is being able to get into spaces that we are interested in and there's a natural curiosity for it. Mm -hmm. So we always wanted to write a book, not because we wanted to write a book, but because we, we always wanted to kind of explore management in simplistic ways, because I think we complicate the hell out of it. So I, I, I wrote a book called Jargon Free Management um, many years ago, just put out a couple of books and that was it printed out a few books, gave it as, um, we always wanted to give it free because it's meant to be knowledge. And there's a bit of a backstory behind that. My dad and I both come from free education. My dad was the first of his family to get out of his village and come to Colombo and go to university and educate himself. He was 40 plus when he got himself a degree. I was just growing up and he had told my mother, what would my son tell if he realized that I had the opportunity to educate myself and I didn't, right? So he was working in the university anyway, but he hasn't got himself a degree. So, so he went to night school and got himself a degree, literally in his forties and for five long years. And I saw this, right? And, and I did ask him, why do you want to do it? You're doing fine as it is. Why? And he said, no, no, I, I just don't want you to ever open your mouth and say, you didn't get a degree because I don't have one. So let's be very clear, right? So we both owe a lot to free education. Most of my uh, secondary schooling was free. I was on scholarship. I went to UK on a scholarship on the strength of my exam results and so on and so forth. So I'm a product of free education. And if not for that, I wouldn't be here. So writing books was our way of giving back, right? So, but, but the books, that was just one book and that was it. Again, long story, so I'm not going to get into it. But here's the pivot. The pivot is that you need to have structures and processes around whatever you do. And the mm -hmm. reason why you see the speed of response that you have is that we can literally write a management book because that's our domain. If you had to write any other book, like a fantasy book or a novel or whatever, we won't be able to pull that off for sure. But if it's a management book, it is our stock and trade. It's what we do on a daily basis. So we have frameworks around it. Way of writing a skeleton. Mm -hmm. And we do that in an hour or two. We generally have subject matter experts who can feed us what we need to know if we don't know it within our own circle and sphere of colleagues who train and consult with us. And then we actually segregate that work so that every person has only a bite-sized chunk to focus on. And the key is being able to have the same tone of voice so that it looks as if though it's one book written by one person, right? 
So what we do then is we train our trainers on being able to have a certain tonality when they write. And after that, it's off the top of your head because it's your subject. So mm -hmm. you can write it without referring anything from your own experience. So we built that framework. And over the last year, because we had a lot of time on our hands, thanks to COVID, <laughs> we perfected that model. So I kid you not, a no-nonsense book comes out in about two to three days max. A guru guide comes out in one or two days flat. And we can do that simply because it is our subject. So it's not alien to us. We're not thinking about it. It mm -hmm. comes off the top of our heads. But to support that, there's a very, very solid framework. And we work in advance. So we, whenever we come up with an interesting subject or a topic that we come to grips with, we put a framework around it and park it. And then we have a conversation with someone like you. That's enough cannon fodder, so to say, to, you know, churn out a book. To pull it off the shelf and, and fill it in. Well, it, it, it is impressive, this commitment to, as you said, free knowledge, free, free content, because, so I'm going to ask you an, another question about your, your theory on this is, you know, I think there is this change in the marketplace of, what do I need to do to get the free content? Like how much personal data do I have to give up? And I know, you know, Nicholas Kimla, who is the founder of um, Pipeliner CRM has this wonderful site um, called Sales Pop. And you don't have to give up any information to get access to everything. And I think you're, you feel along the same way because I see you put your guru guides out in the public sphere. Yes. And in fact, even in our websites, we don't ask for anyone's email address or name or phone number or anything. You just click and it downloads. If you want to save it, you can save it. And you don't have to press anything to continue reading or anything like that. The entire book gets downloaded and it's all free. Because I honestly think, see, if someone can take that book and do better because of it, I think we owe it to them. I really do. Because none of this in the first place is our own domain knowledge in, at all in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. or, all the knowledge that we have, I think, under the sun is somebody else's. To begin with, because, you know, we talk of Atlantis, right? And I come from a place where we talk of the Rama and that runs into like 10,000 years. And we talk of flying machines back then. Now that might be folklore and, and legend, but legends must come from somewhere. So chances are there would have been advanced civilizations back then too. And some of that would have trickled down at some point. And, and, and what we do are a mere fraction of what they used to do. So we're figuring these things out along the way. So I honestly can't write something apart from my own experience and claim it to be something that I, I invented. I honestly don't think I can. So even when we write, we, we generally try and write within our sphere of domain and our experience. Mm -hmm. Having said that, it's not mine. Because if my bosses taught me something, does that become my knowledge or my boss's knowledge? And then can I write about it? I can't write about it. Interesting, I, per interesting perspective. Go to him too. You know, I don't know the answers to this. So the easiest thing to do is to turn around and say, hey, you know what? I learned something. If you can make use of it, here you go. So I'm going to ask you another question because we're going to come up on our, on our time is you've shared some things about what a company founder or a business leader might do wrong, which you said, you know, they need to understand when they're the problem, when they're getting in the way of the team. Can you give an example of something else that you see as a common failing point for um, entrepreneurs and business leaders that you coach? Absolutely. I'll give you three signs to watch out for. The first is that you think this is your business. That's the first sign that you are becoming the problem. It's not your business. 
right? It's, it never was to begin with, unless you're doing everything by yourself and no person can claim to be that. You must have some support. So you need to kind of get out of that mindset to say, this is my business. For sure, you have a vision for it. And for sure, you have direction for it. All of that is true, but it's not your business. The moment you start thinking it's your business, I think you start failing. That's number one. Okay. Number is that you, if ever you find that you do not have answers and you're trying to find it by yourself, that means you're failing too. Because then we've built a kind of culture where it's almost like a spider web. All of those tangly webs starts pointing towards you, to that center epicenter. And you need to devolve that. So if you're having a problem and you're sitting down and thinking about it versus instinctively, you will say, you know what? X person will, will be useful for this. Y person will be useful for this. Z person will be useful for this. A, B, C, whoever, right? If you're not reaching out, that means they're not groomed enough to hold their own with you on this journey. So that's your cue to turn around and say, you know, I need to train my team. I need to groom my team. And if they're not good enough, you need to bring someone else who is good enough to hold their own. Second part. The third part is you start actually thinking about succession on the lines of family alone. If it is, you know, if it's you've started your business and, you know, you're coming to that age um, where you want to pass it on Mm -hmm. and you're looking at it only from the perspective of your family is another clear sign that you're not really ready to kind of grow the business to where it needs to be. There's nothing wrong with ownership being with people within the family. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But ownership and running the business are two different skill sets. And most people miss it. Just because you own it doesn't make you the best person to run it. And as long as you can differentiate between those two, I think you're in safe hands. I love so, it. It's, it's great wisdom. Great advice. We're, we're up on our time. We could talk about this for very much uh, a long extended time. But what I'd like to know is what comes next for you and for your business? Where do you, where would we find you if we come back and talk to you in a few years? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I did move to Canada because I did want to take a step back. I think the business is ready to kind of transition. I think it is in safe hands. So I think from everyday running of the business, I would take us. It was supposed to be this year and then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, probably have to extend that by a year because, you know, it's important to set those things up right. What I would like to think is that we start moving into other spaces. We've always been really fascinated with little things from building homes to the travel trade to all sorts of little, little things. And business models we've found along the way, I think would help us do that. Not in a massive scale, but small niche products that I think would work very, very well within the banner. So in a couple of years, hopefully we would have more lines of business and having a lot more fun with it too because of it. Yeah, well, I know you gentlemen like to have fun. That I know for sure. And I'm sure your new businesses will start off with a great brand and a website. <laughs> yes, it I've learned my lessons. Yeah, thank you for being so transparent and sharing. You know, I hope the audience has found something that they can grab onto. Again, Vidisha, if people want to know more about you and your companies, where can they go to connect with you? Our website, uh, www.luminarylearningsolutions.com or www.high5consultancy.com. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, to our listeners, if you know of a disruptive, innovative, and interesting CEO and company founder that we should be speaking with, write to me at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you very much for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.